UX world. P-U-X world. P-U-X world. Branding with the big faces. I love listening to it. Kane Sims. Kane Sims. Kane Sims, the one and only. Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about voice. Without further ado, welcome to the show. And that's it. Live or in the house. There we go. Hello. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome everyone tuning in. Welcome to VUX World, the show where we uh, find the best in the business and pick their brains about how they do what they do so that you can do what you do better. And today we're joined by Derek Roberti, VP of Technology at Cognigy. Derek, welcome. Yes, thank you so much. Good day. I'm happy to be here. Pleasure to have you. Pleasure to have you. We were uh, we we're just talking about the differences in weather between us. Dustin, it's fairly fairly rainy but warmish in Paris. Yeah, I'd say so. It's uh, starting to seem a little bit like spring. Yeah, and, and Derek, all hell is breaking loose in the U.S. Indeed, and uh, in California, we're trying to be low-key so people don't hate us, but, but the weather is pretty nice here at the moment, actually. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, wicked. Well, appreciate you joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on. We've been chatting about doing this for for quite some time, uh, so definitely interested in, in getting into it, getting into a little bit about Cognigy, a bit about yourself, and we'll discuss, broadly speaking, the trends, strategies, tactics that you're noticing in uh, enterprise conversational automation. Uh, but first, before we get into the details, Derek, do you want to introduce yourself, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and a bit about Cognigy? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So just as a warning, I may get interrupted today by uh, my cats. The other day I was on a call similar to this one and they jumped up on my desk, knocked over my camera and disconnected the call entirely. So we well, might Matt, have some uh, unplanned special guests. That's fine. I've got a special guest down here. He's just sitting by himself asleep. My dog, Winston, he just kind of keeps himself to himself. But my, my wife will be back probably by the time we wrap up. And so he may well bark and go crazy. And at the same time, Dustin, I don't know if Leilu is, is your baby um, at nursery or in the house? Like, are we expecting visitors? She's in the house. Doors are closed. <laughs> I think she's getting ready to sleep. So I think we're all fair good. enough. Fair enough. So Dustin's probably going to be the, the person who who interrupts us the least. Uh, <laughs> Winston might interrupt us somewhat, and your cats may well do the same. But I'm yes, sure I'm sure but- we can roll with the punches. Mm-hmm. The cats will steal the show, but uh, my <laughs> name is Derek Roberti. I mentioned earlier I'm based here in California, in San Francisco, which is where Cognigy's U.S. headquarters are. It's kind of interesting given the kind of places that we are around the world in this conversation today. Cognigy was founded in Germany, which is still where our global headquarters is, so not too far away from you guys. Um, and I, along with kind of our team here, represent the U.S. business. What we do is Cognigy is a conversational automation platform. So we provide uh, tools, which we can kind of talk about in more detail, to build out automated conversations on text and voice channels. Um, my own background is I've been in the, I've lived in the Bay Area for most of my life and been in the software business for the past 15 years, let's say, uh, come at it from a technology point of view. So for me, yeah, I'm really passionate about the tools and technology behind the space, but also um, interested to see, you know, kind of how this provides value for, for businesses um, as, and that can be kind of a topic that we talk about today. Cool. Sounds good. And I was just looking on your LinkedIn. So you used to be at Sitecore. And mm-hmm. so did Cognigy come out of Sitecore? Is, is the history in Sitecore? I'm sure I read somewhere that that it, it originated in Sitecore at some point, did it or not? Have I misunderstood uh, that? 
Kind of, um, but not exactly. So Sitecore, for those of you who are not familiar with the brand, is an enterprise um, content management and marketing platform. They have a wide suite of applications that are adopted by enterprise customers around the globe. But I was fortunate enough to be part of the company when it got started in the U.S., and one of the co-founders of Cognigy was uh, also had been with Sitecore for a long time. When he left Cognigy uh, because he really wanted to get deeper into the AI space and founded um, Cognigy with one of his uh, one of his friends, who became business partners. Uh, I was seeing what was going on in the AI space. I had a great relationship with Philip Heltovic. He was one of our co-founders. And so I really wanted to get on board and be part of it. Um, so a few of us from Sitecore also joined the team. So there's no formal relationship. You know, um, Cognity was started long after Phil had left Sitecore. But we still have a great uh, collaboration between our companies. We have integration with Sitecore platform if you're interested in learning more about that. But what the journey of Sitecore, uh, there's that kind of some interesting Similarities and differences, I think, from the space we're talking about now, which is that in the um, enterprise content management uh, space, long ago when when Sitecore was first getting started in the U.S., everyone knew they needed a website. We'd gotten past that hurdle, and uh, everyone had spent years with web developers working in Dreamweaver to try to build websites, dating myself. Uh, and everyone knew that they needed a platform to kind of um, put some of the day-to-day -day content management activities in the hands of non-coders. Um, and it was a really, it was, it was a cultural change, I think, within the web development world in terms of seeing these new roles emerge, which were web content managers and digital marketers who really needed to get their hands on a platform so that they can do this work themselves. Uh, in the conversational automation space, it's, it's similar but different. The the different part is, is while, you know, when, when we were starting Sitecore, everyone knew they needed a website. Um, today, and something we can talk about as well, is not everyone knows that they need to automate conversations. Not everyone knows kind of what's possible and how much time and effort they can save or how difficult projects are. So there's, there's still a lot of um, lack of clarity and lack of um, urgency, I think, around adopting the technology in general. Um, but interestingly, similar to kind of where we were with Sitecore, we are at a point where people who have been working in this technology for a little bit are realizing that developers can become a bottleneck in the process of building out um, richer conversational experiences for customers. And and I don't, it's not picking on developers, but there's just limited, limited resources with those skill sets that we need to enable a non-technical or less technical user to get their hands dirty with a conversational platform, do as much as they can there. So that way, when developers are actually touching the platform, it's to build out custom integrations or to, to do things in the system that, you know, exceed the exceed the skill set of a non-technical user. But in terms of just updating the logic of a conversation or updating the content of a conversation, um, being able to handle new intents, those should really be in the hands of a, of a business user. And there's probably, you know, 
Development-wise, Dustin, I'm sure you kind of experienced as well through the, through through various pieces of work that we've done and, and beyond. That development develop. There's also in in the same way we talk about skill gaps in terms of conversation design practice, designing conversations and developing conversations is also two different things as well, isn't it? So perhaps it's that developers in organisations don't necessarily have the understanding right now um, around the the tools, techniques, and 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 kind of conversational technical development would you say Dustin yeah no I think that's I think that's really true and then and then also I think uh, the best developers are, are lazy in a lot of ways uh, I think that's a it's a positive thing to say that and so you know as you're talking about Derek about um, you know democratizing is, is sort of a cliche but you know giving the tools to more people within a company means that a developer is not a certain bottleneck and they, they can work on more interesting things huh the to push the whole, you know, history of web development analogy further, it's kind of interesting, uh, and I'd be curious about you guys' experience, is the comparable skill sets that we had in the, as kind of the web kind of matured, was people looked to who had done print design, who had kind of ad- done marketing materials and traditional media, and tried to figure out how can we take what we know from print and translate to the web. And as, as we all know, it that is not a good fit um, for most of the time. They they knew some graphical design and, and marketing messaging, but it didn't always translate well. Interestingly, in the conversational design space, organizations don't see themselves of even having that vague analogy that we had from print to web. Um, from, a, from a design perspective, people feel like they're starting from scratch. But, but the equivalent of that print designer to the web world are actual human beings having conversations with customers. So it's kind of like your customer service reps are the ones who can bring in a lot of that knowledge and skills. And it might not translate directly to an automated conversation, you know, word for word, but that's kind of where your uh, subject matter expertise, knowledge resources already exist in the organization. And Derek, when you work with customers, are they already thinking about, oh, we need to bring our customer support, our frontline people in? Or do you have to push them and say, hey, you've got this great resource and internally you may need to reach out to them? Yeah, it's typically where do we start? And they're not thinking in those terms. And you know what terms they are thinking in is um, their IVR. So sometimes when I'm like, okay, I try to get them like, what would a conversation normally look like? And they're like, okay, great. It's kind of, you start off saying, you know, do you want sales? Do you want billing? Or do you want tech support? And then if they say tech support, we want to say, you know, are you using product A, product B, or product C? And they start describing to me essentially a phone IVR tree. And what we want to do is, is, you know, certainly the technology can be used in that way to kind of mimic a hierarchical kind of decision tree. But we try to try to say, how would you have this conversation with a customer? And when a customer comes in, they say, why was my bill so high last month? And you can take them through a natural language interface. You can take them immediately to um, a process to help solve that problem in automated fashion or if it's a person involved you can take them directly to the person um, who can solve the problem for them in the voice scenario we know where they're calling from so we, we potentially can know you know what account they have with a company um, through natural language understanding we can figure out what they're trying to accomplish and we can eliminate all of that that hierarchical 
flow. Uh, so it really is trying to t bring alive to them the possibility that you as a person uh, who talks to people already bring expertise in how to design a conversation. But there's still more work to do. But, but that starting point is a good one. Interesting. You mentioned that, that not a lot of people are aware of, of the fact that this stuff exists and, and that you can actually automate conversations, whether that's through your IVR or, or website or whatever. And I, funnily enough, I had, I had a call today with uh, with someone who um, kept kept thinking that, that everything was Alexa, when in reality, it, obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a lot more than that. Um, and so how much of the, the work that you do is around education versus, I mean, obviously the bread and butter and what you'll get paid for is the implementation, but I mean, how much in terms of, in terms of the, the Cognigy's kind of role in the world, how much of that is educating people to raise awareness about the possibilities that exist versus implementing what's going on? Or is it a balance between, between the two? It's, it's very, it's, very broad right now in terms of how people come to us and where they're at. And, and later we can talk about kind of the workshop we did to, to see how that came out. But I would say that really the blocker, uh, people don't know a lot about it if they're new to the space. It's a new technology. But the blocker a little bit is lack of education. But I think it's even more so, especially in the, you know, contact center or internal support um, scenarios what contact center managers are focused on are things like, how do I hire enough people? How do I increase my retention? How do I train people? How do I schedule people to deal with peak demands? And, and they're in that day-to-day -day lived experience of trying to get, keep the machine up and running, you know, the, the human machine and, and their human resources. And when you're working under those kinds of pressures, it's hard to take a step back and just think, wait a second, how can we make all of this easier? How can we automate aspects of the conversation? How can we automate some of our backend processes? How can we look at what agents are doing? Because maybe, maybe the things that agents are doing just are so complex and so unique that maybe you do need a human to do it. But what about all of the lead-in where they're asked getting the person to verify their identity or looking up their account information? There's so much that can be automated that people, but people are just too much in the thick of things to take a step back and think about what technology is out there. Then when you do get people who are like, yeah, we know we need to start automating this stuff. We get a lot of aha moments of people not realizing how much, is possible, actually, both through natural language understanding, but also in terms of being able to really walk someone through an end to end process uh, in an automated fashion, in a way that that really works for the customer. Um, and so so it's kind of both being too much in the thick of things, but then also not really knowing enough about the technology. There are also customers who come to us who they've already done stuff. So they're kind of at that that point where it's like, we've got our feet wet, we've done our pilot projects, our initial projects. We know what the problems are, we know what's hard, we know what's easy, and we know where we want to go. And at that point in time, they just need to have a platform that can work for both developers and non-developers. Mm. 
Nice. We've got a we've got a question here from uh, from Active Chat on YouTube. There seems to be a constant conflict between the limitations of rigid conversational design tools and the flexibility that is required by NLP enabled systems. How do you approach this and handle this at Cognigy? Well, thank you. I didn't set up that question, by the way. <laughs> is that is that <laughs> your perfect question? It. Is it? The <laughs> <laughs> marketing department put that one in there. Um, it's it's a really good question. And if you come from a, I'll answer that from the perspective of different audiences. If you come from a developer background, developers understandably tend to be very skeptical of tools that take them out of coding. Because when we code, we can do anything we want, you know, quite literally, there's, there's, uh, the world is ours. And, but, but what we try to tell people is that you need to, for developers is you need to open your mind and really dive in to our graphical tool set to be able to see how far you can push it. Um, because our philosophy has been to, to really not be on one of those extremes. So one extreme is to say, you know, if I want to do an Alexa skill today, I probably after this call in 15 minutes, I could probably click a few buttons on the, um, you know, Alexa skills and be able to create a basic skill and have it up and running. But it's going to be very limited and there's only so far that those user interfaces can take me. Um, you have other tools in the market that are really mostly pre-built point solutions. So I might have a chatbot for, um, for lead capture on a website, for example, that may not really have NLU in it, but kind of can walk people through almost a wizard-like process to collect their information. Um, then you have other extremes, which are platforms that are, that are great platforms out there, that but are, are nonetheless very code-heavy, so a developer has to get involved really quickly. When Cognigy was looking at this problem space, we wanted to be able to build something that lets you create complex conversations, so not just basic intents and uh, replies or intents and any detection and then replies based on that. We wanted to be able to let people build out a true dialogue that could go in a lot of different directions and solve end-to-end -end business processes without requiring coding. And I believe we've accomplished that. And if you'll forgive me, uh, guys, I'll say, if you go to Cognigy.com and click on free trial, you can test it out for, for yourself. We have lots of uh, uh, free training that's available to get you up to speed on the platform. And so when people come to the conversation, understandably skeptical of like, mm, I don't really know if a graphical tool is going to give us enough to be able to build out the conversations we need. I would say give it a try. I think it, it, the tool proves its own utility in that regard. Um, but what we also know is the there's, there's always going to be a role for developers when conversations start touching external systems in particular, whether that's pulling in data from another system or whether it's writing data out to another system or kicking off business processes and other systems, there's going to be a role for a developer. So what, what our approach was uh, is we have something called our extension framework. And what we've done is we expose to a developer the, how to create nodes that exist in our graphical editor. So literally the same way we create all of our pre-built nodes that exist in the graphical editor, a developer can build their own. So what that means is that any time that a developer is spending, and Dustin was saying, you know, developers are lazy. They don't want to kind of be writing the same code and doing the same thing over and over again. Developers can create these components in our graphical editor once and then turn them over into the hands of a business user. And a very simple example of this would be 
we have in our tool a HTTP request node. So that's going to let a someone you know call out to a REST service and retrieve data back. And while for a semi-technical person, okay, it's pretty straightforward. I just have an endpoint URL and maybe I have to pass it in some JSON so it's not too complicated. But for a non-technical user, it's too much to, to burden them with. So what a developer can do is say, I'll take that same REST request and instead of making a non-technical user put in all of this technical information, I could just ask the business user to say, here's three fields, fields you need to fill out. You know, maybe it's a dynamic value that gives me the um, customer ID, or maybe it's a search term that I'm searching a service for. Whatever it is, the developer can kind of um, put make that all happen within a Cognigy extension so that the non-technical business user can add that component to the flow wherever they want, and it's using all of that backend logic. Um, so it's really thinking about how do we take all the complex stuff, and anytime we're spending on developing it, it goes into making the graphical editor easier to use. Yeah. Yeah, I think that really well um, answers a question that we just got on YouTube as well. What do you think, Kane, about, uh, you know, the mention of the question was a lot of companies trying to implement chatbots are lacking open AIs, et cetera, to fully automate the end-to-end -end business processes beyond answering FAQs and what's your take on this. But it sounds like through that, you know, through that connection, through a REST endpoint, you're not doing everything, but you're at least letting people connect to the services that they might have, whether it's, you know, uh, a Lambda function or their own servers or whatever they want to do off your platform. You're just not hosting it on your platform. Some of the, those complex, uh, complex activities. Yeah. And then kind of one more dimension of how you can accomplish this is, and again, sorry for to the Cognigy commercial, but because we can be implemented as a SaaS platform or in a dedicated hosting system or in a customer's private cloud, some of those security issues that can or challenges that can come up in a SaaS only platform just aren't there because customers can host this entirely themselves. Um, so those are some some benefits of being able to extend the platform. The other thing I would say is, uh, and Kane and I have discussed this in the past, is not every system has an API. Um, and it's always, you know, as as kind of modern developers were like, hey, all this stuff is easy. And, and it's, it's astounding how easy a lot of integration work can be these days because of the availability of REST endpoints to be able to, to execute functions. But not every system is there. Um, people still manage things in spreadsheets, uh, believe it or not. And there's a lot of systems that might be legacy systems that have been around for years. And it's going to be a project to, to get those into a more modern application. So one of the things we need to be able to do is integrate with automation platforms. So uh, Kane mentioned at the top of the hour, integrating with robotic process automation tools um, and other automation tools that have all of those legacy connectors um, and legacy kind of process or workflow management, um, which may in involve human touch, um, is, is essential to be part of the platform as well, of your conversational platform. Hmm. And is, is that, that's kind of integrating with other um RPA providers like Corfax. I know you did a uh, workshop with uh, Will. I was there as well, actually, uh, with Corfax yeah. and also like UiPath and all that kind of stuff. It's not yeah. within the Cognigy platform. It's an integration into any RPA provider that you that you need. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Blue Prism and uh, all of kind of automation anywhere and, and the usual suspects in that domain. 
um, you want to have those integrations with because traditionally those platforms are very back office focused. So what that means is you're doing your um, end of month close or you're doing um, invoice management. A lot of back office functions that are monitoring file shares or monitoring email inboxes to kick off some processes. But to get even more power out of that, te that technology, you need to connect all of that automation with a end user, so with a customer. This has a lot of benefits. So from a customer perspective, I can call in and say, hey, what's my order status? And I can get my order status back quickly, even if that order information is in several different systems that may or may not have modern APIs, uh, RPA can give you that. The other thing it can do is the contact center agents, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of work that, I mean, I, I suppose we do in our desktops every day as well, but that can be challenging, which is, I might be uh, an agent at a company that just acquired another company. That company has their own three or four different systems. Our company has our own three or four different systems. So a lot of my time on the call on the phone uh, or in live chat with a user is, let me look that up over here, then let me look that over here, then I have to update this record in this system, and then I need to log into this other system. And they're doing a ton of work, which is really just logging in to four or five different places to be able to get information or update records in different places. So for the agent themselves, having an automation technology like RPA to be able to um, automate some of those contact center processes is great. But then you connect that with a automated conversation and suddenly you have an incredibly powerful automated conversational experience that can, that can perform, you know, a great deal of business processes that don't really require human judgment. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I think I read somewhere that the <clears throat> the average number of systems that a call uh, agent needs to attend to is five. Mm -hmm. So that's not even mergers, acquisitions, any of that. That's just generally people working in call centers are usually yeah. using about five different systems. And that's not only hard for them because they're using five different systems. It's also, it makes automating anything on the front end a lot more difficult because you need to then potentially for one process integrate with five different systems, which gets complicated. But Rich, Rich has got a, a question. Um, and this is a good one because... We, you mentioned we, we did that workshop last week, which is really good. So for those that, that, that weren't there, uh, we did a workshop in partnership with Cognigy and essentially we kind of ran through some exercises that we use in our strategy sprint, which is all around helping you identify where you are on the maturity scale, helping you set some goals, helping you identify use cases, prioritize those use cases and, and put a bit of a plan together for taking it forward. Uh, there was there was more in there than that, but that, that's kind of the general idea. One of the things that, that we used at the start of that workshop and that we use whenever we're talking to anybody about this stuff who's looking to do something with conversational AI is this this maturity skill. <clears throat> and we start from the the embryo stage, which is where people are just thinking about it, something that sounds interesting, researching, things like that, through to the, the uh, crawl phase, which is usually where things start in innovation, you know, R&D, stuff like that, proof of concepts, minimal viable products, that kind of testing the water kind of stuff. Then you kind of move through to a walk, which is starting to really prove the business value, starting to use those APIs, starting to maybe implement a little bit of RPA. And then the run, which is where you're, you know, putting together a center of excellence, you're working 
out your standards, etc., etc. And then on when you start to, we call it the relay, which is you start to, you mentioned Derek around democratizing this kind of stuff. And, and in that relay phase, that's where rather than one central team, a center of excellence building out and implementing all of this stuff, you can then start to devolve it down to other departments. <clears throat> and so if you have HR that have a specific capability in, in, in a bot, they can kind of manage that. You might have payments, you might have finance, you might have product, certain product teams working on certain products, other product teams working on others. And you've got all these different departments all over the organization that ultimately could have a conversational AI, whether that's over the phone, whether that's a chat bot, whether that's a, you know, a, a, a WhatsApp messenger bot, whatever it might be, all able to contribute and iterate on the 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 core capability essentially and in order for that to happen you need to once that once the once your team and your your kind of governance arrangements have put in place the the structure the processes the standards you know what quality looks like and how we measure it and all that kind of stuff the persona design and and, and standards and things like that you then need to have a way of democratizing the tool set so that other people can use it, but still use it within the parameters that you've set. So you mentioned Sitecore. I'm assuming Sitecore, like many CMS systems, has workflow management, has permissions, you know, different users have different levels of, of permissions and things like that. And and this is Richard's question, which is around um, what what can and, and does Cognigy do anything as far as creator and editor workflow? So for example, one person can create a conversational element or create a conversational flow, but then maybe that's escalated to uh, some kind of supervisor or admin who can check, you know, check the dialogues written in the right kind of way, matches the brand persona, check that all of the kind of entities and variables, whatever all set up, test it to make sure it's actually a decent sort of flow and then publish it. So is there an element of workflow management within Cognigy, uh within the platform? And if not, do you think that that kind of stuff is going to be important as organizations advance? Yeah, it's definitely needs to be a foundational aspect of any conversational platform. <laughs> and it needs to be easy to understand from, from our experience um, in the software business at Cognigy as we've seen that a lot of tools have permissioning systems naturally to say who can do what uh, within a tool, but it's hard to have a lot of clear transparency on the, the effect of all of that permissioning. So as a administrator, you either need to really know what you're doing um, to set, set up the permissions up correctly, um, or you just need to hope that you're doing it right. Um, what we see in Cognigy is we have several different dimensions of security. So we have our permissioning, I should say. So we have the idea of what is someone's global role? So are they an administrator? Are they a content author? Are they just a basic user? So you kind of have that level role. And then within each of your projects or agents within Cognigy, you have much more fine-grained um, security permissions to be able to do exactly what you're saying, which is, is this a read-only user? Is this a user who can add basic flows, uh, basic conversational elements? Is this a user who can update uh, entities? We call them lexicons within Cognigy. Is this a user who can create intents? Can they create new endpoints? Um, so we have really very fine grain permissioning as well as kind of roles that, that those permissions can be bundled up into. Um, so I think that's essential within a platform because this is such a new domain, it's got to be 
it's got to be calibrated to the user uh, and their activity that they should be performing in the system. From a overall workflow perspective, you know, you should be able to be in that mindset of I have my production version of my conversation. I have, you know, versions that are in various stages of development and UAT. And I should be able to work on those um, in both production and non-production systems uh, without messing up anything that's going live. So the approach that we've taken is twofold. One is the ability to be live um, in a single endpoint. You can specify a version of the conversation effectively through our snapshot system to be able to say, we're going to be live with this snapshot while we're still working on other snapshots or other work in progress flows. And then we need to be able to move all of that flow logic, including all of the NLU models. um, So it's ready to go. We need to be able to move those from system to system um, really simply and make them available for testing or, you know, if it's in production to be able to go live. And we need to do that, especially in production without interrupting any any kind of dialogues that are going on or or creating any downtime. Um, Given that this domain is so new, I think this kind of, um, you know, permissioning that's really trying to calibrate where the user is with the system functionality they have access to is really important. Uh, And then one other point on this is, I was talking earlier about how permissioning is complex. What we do in Cognity is we give you a readout. So I might apply 10 different permissions to a user. What I need to be able to say is what is, if I apply all of those permissions on top of each other at once, what is a user's effective permission? So for example, I might have deny, uh, you know, read or allow access in one role. And I might have a deny on the other role. So deny always trumps allow. So you need to be able to sandwich all of these permissions on top of each other and say, what is what are the actual resolve permissions for a user for all of these different system functions? And that's what we provide. Mm, nice. I've got a question from Jung. Uh, is the workshop session available on demand? Unfortunately not. Uh, it's not available on demand. It's exclusive, exclusive material. Uh, <laughs> so unfortunately not. Maybe, maybe, maybe there'll be another one coming up. So maybe you can, uh, you can get yourself along to that one. Um, interesting. So talk to us a bit about the, the what's what's behind techno, uh, Cognigy then, because you know there there are many many platforms out there, many kind of conversational AI tools out there, and 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 only we'll see more. I think as we you know as we kind of roll through the years, uh, certainly in the short term, I think we're more likely to see a expansion and maybe it'll contract later on or something like that. But um, <clears throat> we're seeing a lot of those drag and drop interfaces that essentially it's it's a little bit i would describe it a little bit i suppose like if anyone's used dialogue flow cx or if anyone's used voice flow you've got that kind of area where you can drag and drop create those flows create those diagrams create your kind of conversation and stuff like that but then what sits behind it is um the nlu obviously speech recognition you know some kind of business logic um so on the on the conversational technology side, I'm noticing that a lot of a lot of the tools similar to this allow you to just plug in whatever NLU you like, whatever speech recognition system you like. And I've kind of mentioned a few times in recent talks that I've given is that I can see a time where a lot of these tools start to become very similar because it's the interface on the front end, but then it's plug whatever you like into the back end. And so is there anything about Cognigy that differentiates it from that kind of model? I, I, th- I think we spoke before about 
about you, you so cognitive has its own nlu is that right that's right and i would kind of take the um uh, I'd take kind of a step back and maybe liken it to some of the web-based technologies, which is that when, you know, there's countless platforms out there that let you build a website, right? Rather anything from, you know, enterprise solution from Sitecore, Adobe, all the way down to kind of a consumer solution, just like WordPress.com, right? So you can make a lot of uh, websites with a lot of different platforms, but I could probably tell you, you know, from the enterprise perspective, maybe there is three to five uh, of those that have bubbled up to the top. And I think they have done that because they have fit into the enterprise space from a uh, security, scalability, privacy, um, and kind of all of the domains of enterprise governance perspective, and also kind of the breadth of use cases that they can address. So while there are, you know, a great many platforms out there that can do some piece of this, I think that the, um, the true uh, players that are truly fit for the enterprise space are are already bubbling up to the top, I think. And I think there will be um, others that, that may never find their niche or may, or may, may never kind of really grow as platforms. Um, for Cognigy, I would say in particular, what makes us different, as you mentioned, we do have our own NLU. We have benchmarks that we publish um, versus Dialogflow, IBM Watson, and Microsoft uh, on our website that you can look at and test out yourself, actually. Um, I, I see the NLU as being one area that can be, I could see it being a little bit commoditized over time. So once, I mean, even currently, if I were to have you talk to a bot and I say, guess, is this IBM Watson um, or Dialogflow from a NLU perspective, from a user's perspective, they don't know and they might, might not even be able to see a difference and there may not be a difference. Um, so, so there's some of those backend or, or NLU is kind of fundamental, but there, there's some of those building blocks to conversational automation that I think will, may become kind of commoditized. Another one is like you say, speech to text and text to speech. There's definitely differences, but if you look at some of the, you know, the stronger text to speech engines uh, out there on the market from some of the major players, you know, you can say, yeah, these are these are all pretty good. They give a decent user experience. They they're fast. Um, they can they have natural enough sounding voices. So a lot of those kind of building blocks of the conversation may start looking more and more the same. So the question is, is okay. Well, what is it that makes a difference? What makes it a difference is the productivity that that conversational developers can get out of the tools they're using to build automated conversations. So if you go to our YouTube channel, um, you'll see a million of these videos, but you can build out conversations on the Cognigy platform very quickly and publish them to any channel, including your to your contact center platform, to text channels like SMS, to web chat on your website, to you know, a variety of different consumer channels as well. So I think it's it's kind of cracking the code of of kind of enterprise fit along with productivity that you can get out of the tool, which is what I think Cognigy has done better than any other platform in the market. Um, in my past experience, kind of in, in the web world, that's what we saw as well, is that if you can crack the code for enterprise fit and productivity, then you've got a very powerful solution. And once you start excelling in those areas, it's hard for other competitors to catch up ever. 
Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because when you were mentioning commoditization of these these um, you know these different parts of the stack, right? Uh, certainly from a user from an end user perspective, I'm not even sure if commoditization is the right way to go about it, but it's definitely immaterial to them. Uh, so long as it as it fits, like you mentioned, you really would not be able to tell the difference. You would be able to tell the difference between perhaps a rule based uh, understanding and, and an ML based one, but it would be hard for you to go, okay, well, this is a transformer based NLU, or this is, you know, this is not. But as you mentioned, from a developer perspective, or maybe even going broader from the perspective of someone building it, it does make a, a significant difference. And it sounds like that's that's indeed the way you're going. It seems like we have another question from Active Chat um, asking. Maybe this is a very very broad question, um, so feel free to take this in any direction you like. <laughs> How would you describe the mission and the vision behind Cognigy? What's your, what's your mission statement, I suppose? All right, so now it's our marketing department has <laughs> gone offline, and now our CEO has gone <laughs> online to, uh, to pass this. Uh, when Cognigy started, um, I don't know if it's six years ago now, The actually the origin of the company, I think this is a story that what we can tell, was that there, there's an idea of wanting to create a children's toy that could have conversations um, with children. And uh, it was a teddy bear. And the one of our founders comes from an IoT background. The other comes from um, an enterprise software background. And they thought, all right, great. We can get the basic, you know, electronics built into the teddy bear to be able to to have a microphone and to be able to speak back. And then for the intelligence, we'll just take, you know, one of the off, off the shelf systems out there to try to make it work. And so they assumed that there was one, um, you know, from a large company out there that's good at playing chess. Um, they assumed that, oh, we could just take that platform, plug it in and we're good to go. And what they found was that the, um, there was really no true tooling out there that could make you super productive at building out complex conversations without starting to write a lot of code. And even, and at that time, you know, the NLU was not as good as it is today. So they really thought, how can we build a platform? So if someone did want to create a, a talking teddy bear, they could do it really quickly. Um, as we evolved, we, like you guys have spent time on as well, we were looking at the voice revolution from the perspective of smart speaker interactions um, and looking at how can we optimize our product for, for that domain and also consumer channels like Facebook Messenger. But where we've really evolved to in the past, I would say, three years is saying, how can this technology make user experience better for customers and employees? And how can it make businesses more efficient by automating conversations that don't um, that don't require human judgment. We what is the outcome of of using our platform? It is to create chatbots and voice bots. Um, but the reason why we don't kind of lead by saying chatbot and voice bot is what we're really looking at is how can we automate customer experience in a way that is good for users and good for businesses. Uh, how can we kind of merge those together through whatever conversational experience that we offer? It could be me calling into a customer service line on the phone. It could be, be me doing chat on a website. It could be, 
be me sending SMS, or it could be an in-vehicle experience in my car. There's a lot of different channels that these conversations can start on, but at heart, we want to automate anything that doesn't require human judgment and leaves the more complex and interesting problems uh, to people. Interesting. Where, as soon as you, as you brought it up, <laughs> where, what are your general thoughts on um, the voice assistants? I think that um, Cognigy is is on the enterprise side, doing a lot of work in contact centres, a lot of work with chatbots, doing a lot of work in customer service. Customer service is typically where voice assistants haven't really gotten into yet, largely because they are, they're closed platforms, um, limitations around the technology and what you're able to do around verification and things like that, account link being a bit clunky. And generally, just brands not necessarily approaching it from that perspective. You know, a lot of, a lot of the use cases are more kind of marketing focused. Um, there is productivity there, you know, checking parcel delivery times and stuff like that. But broadly speaking, it's not like calling a contact center and, you know, asking for whatever it is service that you kind of need. And so <clears throat> given the the work that's going on in the contact center, I mean, my, my thoughts are that ultimately voice is voice interfaces, conversational interfaces are all going to be one of a muchness. And I think that all of these channels are going to have a brand presence, a company presence for whatever you need, whether it's pre-sales, during sales, um, after sales and things like that. Um, so where do you see the future of those voice assistant platforms in the context of the work that you're doing now? Do you think that Cognigy will be pushing more out into those channels in future or do you not think that those are going to head that way? Yeah, I mean, it's I positioned them a second ago as part of our legacy rather than our future, um, which is, is not inevitably the case. Um, but in terms of the evolution of this, and, and you guys you know, are, are a deep experience in this as well, is that there was a time when we thought um, voice is the future of user interface. Um, and, and what was not clear at that time is that voice is a good fit for some circumstances, not a great fit for other circumstances. And there is um, something I think about the user experience with voice that hasn't quite been cracked for a lot of um, interactions that we might have in when we interact with businesses. So I think from practical perspective, I think businesses have seen that, okay, how does further investment in smart speaker um, skills save us money? Um, how does it make it a better customer experience? Or is it that we just need to be on those platforms to have some small presence, but it's not, it's not a true, you know, meaty source of value for our consumers. So that's kind of, I would say the past, if we were to look towards the future and the role of voice interfaces and smart speakers in our lives, I think they will become more integrated into how we interact. And just like today, you know, I think I can pick up a phone and call any business or I can have a chat or an email with any business. I think having interaction through some of those smart speaker platforms, it, it will happen and it will grow, um, even though it's quite limited now. In the contact center specifically, technology adoption is has been saddled by a lot of legacy contact center providers who have on-premise systems that are are that you know generate provide value and are hard to um, 
are hard to evolve in a lot of cases. And for that reason, uh, the contact center space is not always on the cutting edge of technology adoption. So I would say if contact centers today are really a growth area is to be able to bring natural language experiences to the phone, I think that's going to be the focus there for the foreseeable future. And if smart speakers start becoming part of that mix, um, I think it will be far off <laughs> by that. I mean, not this year. Interesting. What do, what do you think, Dustin, around that, like voice assistance for not, not necessarily customer service? Well, customer service is part of it, but obviously more general, like not promotional marketing stuff, but more general brand experiences like where do you how, how far off do you think we are from everyone just turn around and start to invest in it all uh can you give me an example of what you're thinking about because I, I think that can go pretty broadly maybe you know if we're thinking about um hey alexa um you know when does the new i don't even know ask, ask nintendo when the uh, zelda wind waker comes out uh i don't i think that's farther off than maybe I, I think I'm a bit pessimistic about that one, but I do think there are specific situations where it might make sense. And, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, maybe in the kitchen, um, you could have on a box of pasta, Hey, speak to the pasta co, uh, pasta co skill to learn more about, uh, the pasta or to find out some recipes or things like that. But in terms of just a general thing, I th it seems very far off. Um, you know, you know, Derek, you were mentioning the early days of the web. And I remember those days very well, because for me, it was a, it was such an exciting time, right? Um, where I remember the first website I ever saw, which was like the MTV website, which was, I mean, if you go back to whenever that was, 94, 93, it's, it's probably just, just wild what it was. I don't think we never got there with voice. Um, I, I think, I don't think it's, I don't think it's wrong to say never. Like, I, I think it's, it's, we're at a point where we can definitively say we, we never got there. I think if we were to have gotten there, we would have gotten there. Um, and, and why that is not sure. Um, but in terms of the, the smart speakers, I think there's, there's obviously a use for them, but for all kind of companies, not so sure. What do you think about Ken? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that there's a lot more potential there than has currently been extracted from it, without a shadow of a doubt. I was using an example the other day um, about, like, I, w I would just love to be able to just add an Evernote through Alexa. You know, I would just love to, be, because at the minute you've got to get your phone out, you know, and the Siri integration doesn't work very well, and so it's all typing, typing, typing. I end up having to get my phone out, open it up, and then I'll dictate something. So for things like that, productivity things like that, I think that it's it's untapped. And then further down the line, you know, I don't need to like speak to most companies most of the time. But when I do need to do it, it's kind of in their interest to show up in in a more in a, in a way that's easiest for me to do that. You know, if I want to know about delivery time skills when I'm buying something, if I want to you know apply for a mortgage holiday because because of COVID, if I want to you know whatever the case may be, check how many holidays I've got outstanding at work or you know there's a whole range of stuff that people need to do anytime anyone accesses any system at work anytime anyone visits any website or, or opens the phone there is tapping and swiping and clicking and scrolling and I think that anytime there's tapping swiping clicking and scrolling there is an opportunity for that to be verbalized and if it's going to be verbalized then it could be verbalized through Alexa I mean there's a lot more work done to discover 
proper use cases and things like that. But I think there is a lot of potential there that hasn't been that hasn't quite been tapped yet. I would but, say in car, you know, is a yeah. place where you have a captive audience. I'm sitting at a red light, so if it takes a second or two longer than a person to understand what I've said and do something that I need to do. I think that could be a context for it. We have a uh, customer who implemented emergency roadside assistance and you can do it through a chat on your mobile device, but you can also do it through uh, Alexa or Google assistant. So that could be, that could be a fit for that as well. But I, I think one thing that, even before we get to the voice thing, and I actually see this for the uh, phone scenarios as well, is people need to think about what is going to make that user experience better. And I would love to hear you guys' uh, thoughts on on this scenario. So you're talking about checking on order status. We have another customer, um, one who does that, and one that is an insurance company that that can look up information for you. So for the insurance company, they ask you, what is your policy number and of course i don't know anyone who knows what their policy number is right uh, uh, so you have to kind j1259234 exactly. <laughs> so you have to kind of go online and start figuring that out the other one is is a order what is my order thing and there you have to say either your order id or your purchase id which which are two different things a purchase id is about the transaction and an order id is about each individual shipment within the transaction um, and what i'm what i hope you know when people start thinking about how do we fit this better into a smart speaker context how do we fit this better just into a phone context or a chat context how can we reduce some of that friction for customers to where well if i call in you already know my phone number so you should have a good guess about who I am. And if I'm a consumer, I probably don't have a million orders active, you know, um, with you. So you should be able to know it's like I either have one or two or five orders. Uh, but there should be a lot that can, can evolve in terms of how companies interact with their consumers and what they demand of consumers to make it truly easier and better to, to have those self-service experiences rather than just being like, I have no ideas what my policy number is or my purchase ideas. I just talk to somebody. Interesting. I, I, I wonder whether there's, um, because for some instances, there may be more verification required than sure. getting a phone number. And so I can definitely see, I think for, for low risk cases where you're not going to be presenting back any personal information, you're just going to tell them that the package is delayed or whatever, whatever those may be. I think that definitely makes sense. I don't see it happen that often. In fact, that's one of the typical issues with IVRs in general is that you spend the first five minutes giving it information and then you get put through to someone and then spend the next five minutes giving them the exact same information. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I think I think I can see I can see a, a role for voice biometrics uh, to make mm -hmm. this process better. I know that a lot of banks and insurance companies and stuff are using it, but they're not really using it in conjunction with conversational AI right now. They're using it right. basically just to authenticate someone before they get on the line with someone so that they don't have to go through that when they actually answer the phone. So I think that there's, you know, you mentioned on the back end, marrying together conversational AI with RPA to streamline some of that back end function. I think you're right. There's more that can be done on the front end to streamline the customer experience and voice biometrics to get access to more secure transactions, I think is a part of that as well. What do you think, Dustin? Yeah, yeah, quite possibly, quite possibly. I, I know we're almost at the hour. There's one question that I sort of want to touch on, not exactly the question exactly, but someone asked about natural language generation. Uh, you know, the 
the technology there has grown significantly uh, with you know, with things like transformers, with GPT two, and then three, and 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 things like and things like that. Do you see uh, a near future movement towards using natural language generation, or do you think that's too far off? Is is that something that you're dipping your toes into? The kind of the boundary that has to be crossed or or determined for that from a business application perspective is how much you want to turn the words that are said to your consumers over to um, a machine that you can't entirely predict. And I'm not talking about kind of some of the extreme, you know, mishaps that have, have happened in that regard. But even just just basic mishaps, um, there's tons of compliance uh, that goes into what you can say to your customers because you don't want to mislead customers and you don't want to um, you know break any rules that are important to them or important to the business. So I think when you start thinking about uh, natural language generation, there are ways where it can provide fluidness to a conversation. Um, there's a ways that it can, you know, potentially make uh, reduce effort for people who are creating automated conversations. But I, I do think that there is, is a hurdle, a, a compliance hurdle and a user experience hurdle to make sure that that's working the way it should. Yeah. I would also imagine for a lot of your company company or customers, let's say, a South pizza place. There's only so many, so many things that you're going to respond to, to a user, even multinational electronics brand. There's only so many things that you're going to respond to a user that, you know, perhaps it's just simpler whenever you've got your copywriters creating the, the FAQ articles that you have one extra entry for, for the IVR entry as well. Exactly. Yeah. As it can be integrated into your content management system, whenever, whenever someone's creating uh, new content. It's more probably for, it's more of a question, I would say, for the actual kind of broad general voice assistants like Alexa and Google Assistant. And mm, the only, right. really, you're right, Dustin, that, that most companies have got a, a scope, haven't they? We do banking, and so your, bank, your question is going to be related to banking, and we've got the answer to it somewhere. And so we just need to plumb in those answers, basically. And once, and, and once you are on that process, it might take you a while to get to a situation where you've got an, an AI that is capable of handling most things. And so there, there's an argument, potentially, that, that this kind of stuff could be used, the more generative stuff could potentially be used in the beginning to help you get started quicker. But ultimately, you want to have some consistency over what it is that you're communicating. But on the on the larger, broader side, the amount of times that you ask Alexa a question and it doesn't know the answer to it, it may have a kind of role to play there. But the question then is still, you know, is it is it trustworthy enough for you for to let it kind of almost run riot and speak to your customers without being vetted? I think we're probably miles away from that. I, I can, you know, give fortunately not a real world example, but an imaginary example of let's imagine that I call in and every time the AI thinking on its own, every time it gives me a 50% discount, I, I give it a very high net promoter score. So over time, the AI learns that the more that you give away, the happy customers are. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's kind of like, do you, do you want to have an AI kind of making those kinds of decisions based on data, um, but they, that may not actually be aligned with what you're in business to do? Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. We're just about, on, we're just about up on time. We will uh, 
go to Clubhouse shortly and, and, and have a bit of a follow-up discussion. If anyone is on Clubhouse, you can follow me at Kane Sims and you can join us there. Uh, we'll be carrying on the conversation a little bit. Uh, you can also subscribe to this podcast at vux.world slash subscribe if you are so inclined. Uh, Derek, where can people find out a little bit more about you and where can they go to trial Cognigy if they are interested? Yeah, so if you go to Cognigy.com, which is C-O-G-N-I-G-Y.com, you can learn all about Cognigy and sign up for a free trial if you like. And on LinkedIn, you can always find me as Derek Roberti, and I'd be happy to connect with anyone who wants to uh, get to know me. Fantastic. It's been an absolute pleasure. Derek, thanks so much for joining us. It's been wicked. And thanks everyone for tuning in. Appreciate it.